Reset Rebel podcast with me, Joe Yule, and today's guest is actually not, sadly, with us on the island, but i um, very grateful and lucky to have known this London lady for, a, I think it's actually more than a decade now, um, way back from my East London uh, existence many, many moons ago before I moved to Ibiza, but I've been dying to get uh, this lady on today's show. That is, of course, Celeste Pereira. Good afternoon. Hi, everyone. How are you doing? Yeah, awesome, thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. It's so nice to finally have uh, gotten a little date in the diary to get together. Obviously, we've tried to do this a thousand times. We were actually in the same city in London, but um, it was not to be. How are you doing? Where are you and um, what's going on over there? Well, I'm in London at the moment. Um, I'm very well. And London is actually coping remarkably well, given the current situation. We're obviously in the thick of coronavirus and we're going through our tier two lockdown at the moment. But, you know, there's good vibes all around, uh, at least from my very narrow perspective. It seems to be all good in the hood. I'm just sitting in my flat looking out of my window at the park and all the kids are running around like mentalists just playing and it just looks like it's a happy another normal happy day out there so onwards and upwards onwards and upwards indeed i think you know this show obviously called the reset rebel i mean what's your number one kind of tool um to reset yourself when you're kind of waking up all of that you know narrative that's going on currently feels a little bit overwhelming how are you kind of like you know switching your headspace from a to b at the moment <sighs> I wish I could be one of those guests that give you all the nuggets. Um, I'm probably, uh, I'm probably one of those people that's struggling with that the most. Really, I've just come out of a really intense two-week um, preparation period for a workshop that I launched, and to be honest, I've been in a hole where I'd open my eyes, open my laptop, get to work, and I wouldn't finish until ten. One day, one moment, I didn't leave my house for like three days. I'd just been working solidly. And um, of course, everything went out the window. Working out, meditation, the gratitude journal. I know all the like cheesy things that actually do annoyingly really work. Um, all went out the window. And I just realized that uh, I was giving myself a hard time about it. And I was like, do you know what? There really was no option. I had to put pedal to the metal. I had to, I had to, I had to do what I had to do to get that work done. And I'm really proud of myself for having worked so hard because I got great results. But something had to give, you know, that's life. And I think that if, if I could maybe give a nugget to everyone out there is don't give yourself such a hard time. Sometimes stuff has to give. And I think the key is consistency. Like if, if you are day in and day out, like for a whole year, not giving yourself the space to reset, then that's obviously going to have detrimental effects. But if you have got some deadlines and you do need to just get your head down for a bit, just whatever, just give yourself some space. Don't be so intense with doing all the right stuff because sometimes it's hard, you know, and that's just life. I just, yeah, I think what you said is so true, but I, I love the fact that you're always so brutally honest about, you know, what's going on for you and how you're feeling about stuff and the fact that, you know, you're just like dropping the whole the whole game of like daily self-practice and all the things that we kind of... Oh, no, I've never like advocated people. daily self-practice. I'm always telling people not to do the same thing every day. These people who just do yoga every day are the most injured people I've ever met. You need to do more than just yoga. Yoga is one form of movement, which is actually highly limited given the complexities of the human body. Um, it doesn't involve any pulling. You're not loading your hamstrings and your glutes effectively. Um, you have no lifting, no cardio. It scratches the surface of what your body is capable of. To only do one thing, I would never, ever advocate that. So if I would rather people, I don't know, just go for a 10-minute walk and do a yoga practice. <laughs> You know, it's healthier, probably, in many ways. Totally agree. But I think, you know, when people first find someone like you with, like, you know, thousands and thousands of followers, you know, you're an international kind of yoga uh, woman, superwoman at the moment, <laughs> by the looks of it, all, all the things that you're doing. But, you know, I think they expect, you know, that that is what you do on a daily basis. You know, it took me a really long time when I did my trainings not to get on my mat every single day. And I, I really realized that I needed other kinds of workouts to mm. actually 
get my body into the kind of shape that I really wanted to be in. And that was strong. It wasn't just skinny and that typical yoga kind of um, structure mm. that we're all kind of projected on Instagram, whatever. It's like, I really want to be strong. I want to be able to carry my bike up the stairs. I want to be able to pick up my suitcases off of the, Amen. Off the rack at the airport and carry them down the stairs at the tube myself. And I remember totally. when I came, it was such a, an empowering moment when I didn't need anybody else. And I know that yoga gave me that, but it was also a combination of that with all of the other stuff that I was doing that nobody talks about the fact that you need both. Of course. I mean, it's slowly changing, but I would say very slowly. There's still this, uh, it's almost like people put guilt on you if you don't have a daily practice. And so that's why I'm extremely honest with everyone. And I go, no, I would never do yoga every day. I do yoga like once or twice a week. And, I, you know, of course, the principles of yoga are so beautiful, you know, and I feel like we can take those principles into other forms of movement, like just being mindful or looking at your breathing, you know, being present, all, all of these very useful tools not just for when you're moving or doing yoga but actually to spill over into the other elements of your life mm -hmm. yes great do that you know if you're having a glass of wine let that be your yoga you know get involved with the smell and the taste and the sensations it gives your body as opposed to just mindlessly plowing through everything so yes yoga has its benefits but in terms of a movement practice Patabi Joyce popularized a certain style which is ashtanga vinyasa sort of based movements and it's very limited and it's causing so many injuries um, as a trained physio I am all for varieties of movement you guys need to be climbing up things lifting heavy objects getting your heart rate up you need to be exposing your body to varieties of inputs um, and not just exercising or not just leaving your movement to a single moment of practice, but become a moving human body. So instead of sitting on a comfortable sofa with your laptop or a comfortable armchair at your desk, rather sit on the floor and be uncomfortable so you keep moving around, you know? Um, yeah, I'm a big movement advocate. And in fact, I think a lot of the yoga community are almost wanting to push me out of yoga. They're like, why does she call herself a yoga teacher? She hates yoga. I don't hate yoga. I hate elements of the culture. And that, and I, I do sound like a bit of a Moni, a Moni ha yoga hater, but it's just because the guilt that comes along with it is just something I want to eradicate uh, and I want to empower people. So that's where the rant is now going to end. <laughs> I don't think that's bad. You know, you know, two of my favorite um, yoga teachers on the planet who've both been on this podcast at some point in time. Number one is David Tsai of Yoga Beats. And he is exactly the same as you. He's like, you know, let's just stop all of these shapes. You know, this is not helpful. This is not, you know, obviously he used to be about that, you know, back in the past. But he's exactly the same as you. You know, why not? as long as you do everything with love, like that is your yoga practice and your intention behind that. And my other favorite yoga teacher um, was my 500 hour, which was Julie Martin. And equally, you know, she's as rebellious as you are in terms of the actual um, asana practice that we're all traditionally told is yoga. And, you know, she kind of developed this kind of fascial flow, really, which is kind of how I got into her style of yoga and really enjoyed getting you know, into some non-linear kind of forms of movement, which I never experienced with any other teacher really until she came into my life. And as a kind of ex-New York choreographer and dancer, I just loved the fluidity and the kind of alternative, you know, we weren't really on our mat for half the practice basically. And <laughs> nice. that was just like, oh, right. Are we actually doing yoga then? But of course, <laughs> it completely blew my mind. And that was maybe six years ago, five years ago. And, it, you know, everything changed for me from that moment on. She used to be obviously into Ashtanga and, you know, into all these kinds of damaging forms of linear movement that basically, I mean, you can say, I mean, Ash, I've got really, really, really into Ashtanga recently. And after all of those lessons that I've learned with her, I don't, I think that for me, I needed to know exactly what was coming next and have a structure in lockdown and not get on my mat and not know what I was going to do like I normally would. And right now I'm still doing a little bit of that just because I'm enjoying the strength it's giving me and the things that I wanted to work on that I'm building. But I know that, you know, for the long term, it's not sustainable. I've been doing it for maybe, I don't know, since March. But I'm just enjoying the strength. But I think, you know, as you said before, strength doesn't come just from yoga practice. It comes from such a combination. And I like the fact that you are a bit ranty and not, you know, you are a bit anti-yoga, which is great. <laughs> no, I'm anti the culture. <laughs> the culture of people not questioning what their teacher teaches, mm -hmm. uh, are vilifying you if you don't have a daily practice or that if you enjoy going to the gym. You know, that that is the parts of 
of the culture that I'm just like, ugh, leave me alone. Like, I want to do my own thing. I'm, I don't have to do it your way to be as pure as you. That is what I dislike. And I think that we have to remember that the styles of yoga, like Ashtanga, are so young. Everyone's like, oh, I'm this, you know, you, I'm this deep spiritual person because I do this ancient thing. No, you don't. You are doing a sport that's younger than gymnastics. And it is a physical sport. And yes, you know, there's a lot of chat around it about it being spiritual. But when you then get to know all the top people in the yoga world, you realize it's full of bullshit. These people are horrible people. They're narcissistic. They treat people with like absolute dirt if they don't need them. And then you're like, oh, okay. So it's smoke and mirrors. And that's why I just thought, you know what? There, I, I'm passionate about calling myself a yoga teacher and teaching yoga because what are the cool things about it? You don't need a lot of equipment. You need your mat and yourself. It teaches you to follow your breath. Very important skill in life, you know, let alone just movement. Um, and there is the element of philosophy, like just be a nice person and take care of the world around you. Fantastic stuff. But then when you get to know the people who really make you feel bad about not being super spiritual, you realize that they're not very nice people. So I just wanted to educate the, the yoga world that, you know what, don't be delusioned by the people with lots of followers on Instagram or the guys with the big gray beards. They, they're not necessarily the people you think they are. I think it's interesting because, you know, when I got really into yoga, it was kind of actually, I mean, I got into yoga in the first instance in London to recover from my hangovers. I used to go to Bikram and just sweat out, you know, big puddles of booze all over the floor when I was a music journalist in London. And then when I moved to Brighton, that's when I got really, really, really obsessive and obviously went off and started to do my, my trainings and stuff in India. And I just fell in love with it. I was absolutely so, so into it. But I don't think, you know, that I could ever have made that jump to go back and lived in London again to become a full-time teacher. So that's why I ended up coming over here to Ibiza. But I think it's interesting, like, to be a yoga teacher in London is, you know, it's so much more competitive than anywhere else. And there's so many of you guys there. And I think you've got to be offering something pretty unique I mean you were only probably I mean you were into really into capoeira and all sorts of things when mm. I first got to know you all those years ago and you know you kind of getting into yoga was like a different yeah a whole different kind of chapter I think in your in your life and it kind of really awoke this physical obsession for you you know your passion for the physical human body and the biology and just like diving so much deeper into just you know, the asana practice, which of course, you know, it's a wonderful thing to do. It's great, makes us feel good and everything else and builds all these other tools that, you know, connecting to the breath. But I think ultimately there's just another whole realm that you've taken it forward into. And I think it's very empowering, you know, not just for women, but for everyone to have that wider range of movement that's so important for a healthy body. Yeah. And, and also what we have to remember biomechanically is that the way that things are being taught are not necessarily sound for human bodies. I'll give you a very basic example because the thing, the other thing about yoga is that we're not staying current with evidence coming through. So when you follow people like Julie Weeb, who works with rehabbing women that are elite athletes and they've had babies, so their pelvic floor is disrupted, their TVA isn't firing, you know, you need these systems to be working at quite a high level when you return back to your sport. And when you're looking at the research that she's presenting in her courses is that we shouldn't be squeezing our bellies. And actually, this is for the wider fitness in, uh, world in general. If you are gripping even at 30 percent your middle body, you're forcing intrathoracic pressure up into your diaphragm and down into your pelvic floor. So what we're doing is inadvertently creating more problems than we were trying to solve. And when they did scientific studies, they, they took um, populations and they gave them the task of creating a 30% brace around their belly, as we've all been told to do in every movement class. And then they were asked to jump off of a height. And what they measured with ultrasound was ground reaction force. How did they tolerate that? How, when they landed, did they absorb the impact? And did they give their lumbar spines any more impact? And what they discovered is that actually engaging even at just 30% around your belly, you know, when you're jumping from a high height, actually it increases the ground reaction force, which is what we don't want. And it created no change in terms of lumbar stability. But the issue that we created, um, 
the problem that we developed by having this brace is that pressure change, which now isn't moving with the breathing, which is what it's supposed to do. It's now being forced into the extremities of the um, thoracic cavity. And so diaphragmatic excursion is, is limited, which means it's not moving down and up like it would do as a normal relaxed belly, which means vagal stimulation is gonna be reduced. Now you need the vagus nerve to switch your nervous system from that, paras that uh, sympathetic fight or flight to that parasympathetic rest and repair. And so that's the first issue. And then secondly, stress incontinence is a huge issue because we were just bearing down. Yeah, in young women, young guys, we've got the pelvic floor incontinent because they're stressed because either a no because they're bracing around their core they're bracing their pelvic floor because their pressure changes haven't been regulated in terms of a normal way of just breathing and so you know just to give your listeners a bit more value when you're breathing in guys your belly and your pelvic floor should relax because the air coming into your lungs increases the intrathoracic pressure. That increase in pressure in your thoracic cavity, that's enough to support your back. It's enough to support your organs. When you breathe out, there should be a natural engagement of the pelvic floor and transverse abdominis. And so this actually works in conjunction with your diaphragm. So if you had to use your hands potentially as like, um, a model to mimic pelvic floor and diaphragm. If you take your left hand and you make like a bowl, a soup of bowl, right? You take your right hand, palm facing down, and you flex your fingers upwards so that it looks like a bowl as well. We're gonna imagine the top hand is the diaphragm, the bottom hand is the pelvic floor. Now, as you breathe in, your diaphragm contracts and moves down, and your pelvic floor relaxes and moves down. We're accommodating more air in the lungs, the organs now have to go somewhere, so they push down into the pelvic floor. But when you breathe out, the opposite is gonna happen. Your diaphragm relaxes and moves up, and the pelvic floor then lifts up and creates tension. But this diaphragmatic excursion, this pelvic floor movement is a dance which should be happening throughout the day. But what does yoga teach us? It teaches us to grip our pelvic floors and our transverse abdominis for two hour practice. Mm. Can you imagine how that's going to disrupt the pressure changes, the muscular interaction? Now, do this with me. Make a fist with your hand. Really, really, really tight fist. I mean, squeeze it so hard for 10 seconds. I mean, go to town on the squeeze. Eight, seven. Now squeeze even harder. Five, four. Squeeze even harder. Three, two. Now relax your hand and notice what your hand feels like. Try and open it and let it function as a normal hand after that intense squeeze. And you'll notice that there's a point of weakness, right? The hand doesn't feel instantly great. It doesn't, it couldn't like lift up a delicate feather without, you know, disrupting any of the little soft bits. It, there is um, uh, almost a weakness after that intense squeeze. Now think of your pelvic floor. Your pelvic floor is there to support feet, your feces, your urine, and all of your organs. Now you go to Ashtanga, they're telling you grip your pelvic floor, your mula bandha, for two hours, you know, sometimes you go to workshops for two days, you're using your pelvic floor the entire time. <laughs> you leave and suddenly you need to sneeze or cough or laugh. <laughs> people are incontinent. They're young people with huge incontinence issues. <laughs> yeah. People it's are sad. from pooing their pants. Is that what you're telling me? Mostly urinary incontinence amongst females is more common. And they're going to physios and they're like, you know, I, I went on a trampoline with my two-year-old niece the other day and I now wet myself because they don't have natural use of their pelvic floors. And this is because the yoga industry, again, is not staying up to date with current science. Everyone is like, this is the tradition, you know, everyone's stuck on this tradition thing. But you're like, guys we're creating more problems than we're solving. And that's just one example. You know, there's so many other things which I could, you know, rant about as I have been <laughs> for the last 10 minutes. But just to give your listeners a bit of value, guys, when you inhale, your belly should be relaxed. Your pelvic floor should move down. When you exhale, that is when the engagement happens. And that natural movement should be happening subconsciously. And at the beginning, your brain isn't going to have that map. The map in your brain is, I need to grip all the time because that's what you, it thinks you need for survival because that's what you've been doing. 
So in the beginning, it's a difficult road when you're exercising to teach your inhale to let everything relax, the exhale to engage. It takes time and it's frustrating in the beginning, but the benefits, you know, it's, uh, it's so much deeper than just not wetting yourself. It's actually allowing those organs to operate effectively well into old age, which as I don't know if you have had a grandparent that needed to wear diapers, but it was so sad for me. My granny was always so depressed about the fact that she didn't have bladder control. You know, that was and a much more severe than what the young women uh, from yoga are faced with, but that's where they're headed. Mm. Well, I guess if, yeah, if that whole narrative continues of being told to, I mean, I've never been to a yoga class and actually engaged <laughs> in higher two hours, but certainly don't do that in my practice now. It's not even something I think about. It doesn't cross my mind. It feels highly unnatural to be constantly, you know, squeezing that whole undercarriage. Just, yeah, I don't know where that came from or who decided that that was how it had to be. I mean, obviously, Patapi Joyce, but, you know, potentially... The people sharing that practice I mean I like to adopt it and create my own softer more flowy version of it that's <laughs> I take you know I probably well, yoga beats version when a child's poses in between each and every sunset <laughs> like a nice slow version of it and I think you know lately that's what the world does need I mean I'd love to know the percentage of more yogis now in a post-lockdown world than there were mm. before it began because I think that saved a hell of a lot of people's heads um, during that whole period when people really needed something to, to latch onto in a practice to, to connect but to. So yeah. many, so many people ended up with hamstring tendonitis mm. during oh. that lockdown. Yeah. Because they've been sitting down all day at their desk and then they get up to do a yoga class and the yoga cues aren't teaching people to engage their posterior chain, the back body. They're teaching people to relax the back body constantly. And those upper attachments where your hamstrings attach up into the bone, you can feel it. If you're sitting down, you can put your hands under your butt. And if you wiggle your butt around, you're going to feel two bones. I called your ischial tuberosities. Those are where those upper attachments of the hamstrings are connected. Now you're going to do loads of forward folds because that's what yoga is primarily about but actually those muscles didn't evolve for just forward folds in a passive stretch those muscles evolved to lift heavy objects up against gravity that's what you would be doing if you lived in nature those muscles would be working heavy loads up and down all day to ensure your survival so to suddenly sit for eight hours then decide i'm going to do a one hour yoga practice the the exponential increase in ham, hamstring tendinopathies was staggering and this was even happening with people that were fairly strong that had you know a good lifting practice in the gym it's because in our yoga cues we aren't educating people about the biomechanical repercussions of always relaxing in a forward fold and also the disproportionate amounts of forward folds and hamstring openers that are in a yoga practice the disproportionate amount of quad strengthening positions we don't do hamstring strengthening in yoga Mm. These muscles are whittling away, they're atrophying, they're long and thin and spindly weak nothingness. And then we're stretching them more and more and more. And there's this badge of honor from the teacher. Oh, look how deep you're going. Oh, you've got a beautiful practice. Look how flexible you are. And it's actually the opposite of what bodies have evolved for. So if we just take a, a bird's eye view of our evolution as a human animal living in nature, we'll realize that certain things in yoga are fantastic. You know, so many varieties of movement, the breath aspect, the internalization of your, your focus, beautiful stuff. But then to be hanging in your ligaments in every passive pose, holding that for sometimes 10 minutes, some styles or letting people hang in a passive position it's not nature, guys. This isn't what your body needs, especially if you've been sat in a chair for 12 hours, you know, in front of a laptop. How long did it take you to find your voice within all of this? Like from, from the moment you said, right, I want to do my first teacher training, wherever that was. I think you went to India, didn't you? I remember. Sure I did. Yeah. You went somewhere in India. Was it Kerala or somewhere around there? Uh, it was actually in the middle of India in Maharashtra. I hope I'm saying that right and not offending Maharashtra. My Maharashtra. Thank you. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, it was in the middle. It was. Tell me. It was actually great in the countryside. I realized what a magical place India actually is outside of the cities. But the cities are in a really intense place. I almost feel like that's where the future of the world is heading. Those intense city experiences where people are scraping a living, you know, and 
and yeah, just living in pretty terrible conditions. So I would say it was a huge eye opener traveling to India and, and a great, a great privilege. But wasn't this one of those places where you were kind of like up at five in the morning? And yeah. That's what I mean. It's like, you I quite liked it actually. <laughs> and not, not the up in the morning thing, but you know, it was quite cute. Like we had to wake up and then we did a bit of chanting. So imagine you're waking up and singing. That's the first thing you're doing in the morning, which I thought was pretty cool. And you're doing a bit of meditation and then you, then you did a practice and then you did karma yoga. You had to go clean everything, which I didn't mind either. I, didn't, I think it's kind of cool when everyone's working together. And then we'd eat in silence, which is another thing I really enjoyed because they little, they're very cute. Actually, the ashram that I stayed, they had little signs all over the ashram, you know, focus on every mouth. Uh, every bat of food in your mouth focus on the sensation of the food focus on the the, the taste the smell and I, I just feel like that part of my brain developed and I was like oh this is very cool I really liked it mm. well it certainly wasn't like that on my teacher training it was like you know gorging fest like <laughs> yeah people were just going back for seconds thirds fourth some of the men who were like obviously working out pretty hard but like we wouldn't eat from sort of seven o'clock in the evening till like 11 o'clock the next day until after the first practice. Yeah, that's hard. We were all ready to collapse. So we just fell on the kind of breakfast buffet, like hungry animals. (laughs) (laughs) It was disgusting, actually. I put on quite a bit of weight because I just had no control over my intake. It was like, you know, starved to death. And then you just like have a buffet. Like no one has control around a buffet. (laughs) Or is that just me? (laughs) Oh my God, I am so on your level, babe. Totally. <laughs> Give me that fruit salad. <laughs> People are having fist fights over like the spoon for the granola. <laughs> Very yogic. <laughs> yogic, exactly. <laughs> on retreats as well, the very same place where I did my teacher training, Ashiana. You know, obviously people are not fist fighting, but definitely, you know, it was kind of like a, a less mindful experience sometimes. When people are hungry <laughs> on those trainings, it's like all that stuff. All the philosophy class they've just been attending for the last four hours with a bum, the window. bum bums. It's like, give me that fold. Um, <laughs> interesting. I feel like, you know, obviously to have gone down this kind of slightly more research route that you've obviously um, ended up, which is how you've probably discovered that, you know, probably faster than most people that doing a daily practice, doing the kinds of things that we're kind of shown and taught are the traditional kind of asana practices, not actually going to help our bodies it's obviously going to end up causing sort of pain and injury yeah not necessarily I mean some people tend to go through life and they're fine I just think that uh, it's so the injuries are so common and they're so avoidable and I guess I just want to empower people a little bit to know that it's totally avoidable you can heal very effectively from any of the injuries that yoga has um, brought into your body potentially. Um, it's just about approaching it with a slightly different format. It's not even about stopping yoga. It's just about tweaking it. Like it, we have to remember, it's not an ancient practice. It's very young. Everyone is disillusioned. Well, I mean, it's only a hundred. The most of the yoga that we're doing is only a hundred years old, really. And it was, you know, um, started off very limited in terms of physical practice it was mostly a meditation practice but people were finding that sitting a lot is not healthy Woo! look at that for a light bulb moment but it was yeah but of course people wanted to keep up the practice and they realized you know additionally adding movement to that would be good um but the the yoga that we're practicing these days is a baby guys it's not this deep spiritual thing that's been going for thousands of years this is a lie <laughs> so it's okay for it to change now just because i'm a young female that doesn't have a long gray beard and a flowing robe doesn't mean that my voice is not valid in the picture you know and so this is the other thing is i i mean i went on these teacher trainings and i was flabbergasted because there was a man with a gray beard and the long flowing robe talking utter trash on a stage and then people would be like all laughing I'm like wow, what are you laughing about oh, <laughs> I don't know but uh, he said it so therefore I laugh yeah I was like wow I mean the levels of just sheep just like people just following it because people are searching for some kind of answer um anyway I I just thought it was ridiculous and so I was thinking I'm not trying to say everyone should listen to me. What I'm just trying to empower people to do is just don't be afraid to listen to your own body. Mm-hmm. If a teacher's telling you to go deeper into something and there's a little voice in your head going, no, I'm good, 
listen to that voice. Or if you are curious about the human body, take a couple of courses from different people who have different opinions and then make up your own mind. Or look at yoga poses and ask yourself the simple question, why am I doing this pose? What is it actually doing? And don't listen to the, it's massaging your organs and detoxing your liver stuff, which we don't have any empirical evidence around and you can't feel that really. Feel your shoulder after you come out of a bind. Ooh, that doesn't feel good. Don't bind. Hey, what a novel experience. And get used to what a good versus a bad pain is. Ooh, I feel my muscles burning. That means they're getting stronger. Ooh, I feel my joints aching after my practice. No bueno. Because joints are passive structures. They're not going to recoil. They're not going to get that blood innovation the same as our myofascial system. You know, your muscles get this blood your joints, they, they rely on the strength of your muscles. And again, if you're doing a very, um, you know, you're just like, I love my yoga, I just want to do yoga, ask yourself, how's my body really doing? I met a woman in the supermarket the other day and she had a knee brace on and she was just like, oh, you know, that's the practice. You know, she was like, I'm an Ashtangi and, you know, I've got a lot of problems, but, you know, that's the practice. We must carry on. And I'm like, no, that is not the practice. That's a lie that someone made you believe because it's a for another form of control. And also, I think the other issue is a lot of yoga people are attracted to yoga because they've come from deep wounds in themselves and they're used to feeling pain and they just find someone else who is inflicting pain on them, but they're packaging it up as this you know, road to liberation and a road to answers and a road to healing, but it's not necessarily, you know, some people do need to go see a psychologist. Some people do need therapy. You know, you're as, you as a yoga teacher, if you are one, you don't maybe have the tools to help someone with these deep seated issues. And again, I want to empower yoga teachers to tell people who come to them with problems. You don't have to solve people's problems. You can tell them, I'm sorry, I can't help you with that. Well, that used to happen to me, you know, a lot on retreat. And, you know, as much as I obviously, from an empathic perspective, desperately wanted to help people and give them the answer or tell them what they needed to, to know to get, you know, back to the place of happiness. I mean, I, I, I just, I'm just a yoga teacher. And really, like, you know, for me, it was very much about the physical side of things. It's like, kind of like a workout to music. I mean, I never expected <laughs> that yoga beats was anything other than that. And for people to come up to me after class and, you know, really want to like pour out their hearts to me and tell me their their real problems mm. in the world. Of course, like you know, any woman in their right mind is going to want to try and help. But ultimately, when people come on those kinds of retreats, you're not really well. I was never holding that kind of space for a deep, deep transformation mm. and healing. That's never what I said I am or I'm about. You know, it's just having a bit of fun in Ibiza, <laughs> just some good music, drinking some good cocktails, going on some nice walks <laughs> in nature. Of course, providing a wonderful reset away from real life and giving people a bit of perspective to sort of look back at how things are and where they just came from and all the things that were making them feel like, you know, not good. But, you know, as you said, you're not a psychologist. You're not a therapist that's qualified to deal with those kinds of psychological issues of, yeah, there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are suffering from anxiety and depression and grief and loss and mm. you know, all kinds of disorders and, you know, eating disorders. And, you know, we've run some amazing offers to try and give back to that community of people. And I think, you know, right now in this world, after everything we've just been through, I mean, I think there's going to be more issues than ever before and people mm. are going to be suffering. You know, there is, as Bob Marley would say, suffering going on, like in a big way, I think, like, you know, particularly maybe in London where you are, uh, are you feeling that kind of vibe there at the moment? Does it feel a little bit sort of heavy, so to speak? Um, again, my love, you know, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, I'm in my little bubble. I work from home. I see my smiley partner walk through the door every afternoon. I look out the window and see the children playing. Um, I, I, I really am quite sheltered, I think, from the wounds and the suffering that is very much happening um, and I'm not going to try and sugarcoat it. I, I realize just how incredibly privileged and sheltered I am. Um, and uh, man, I, I, during lockdown, what parents had to go through, people who lived on their own, people who lived with abusive partners, I, honestly, it breaks my heart when I think about what people had to go through through that time and are still going through now and are possibly going to have to go through again. It is, uh, it's a lot. It's a lot for me to process. 
I don't have the answers. And, and, you know, as a yoga teacher, when people do come to me with that, all I can offer them is empathy and love and compassion, but I can't give them answers. I, I have to direct them to people that can really, you know, give them the right tools, not just because this is what I see happening a lot as well is people come to yoga and they open the people up and there's a lot of crying and expressing and da, 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 but they don't know how to shut these people back down so that they can go off into normal life and cope again with normal life. And I just worry that, yeah, we're, we're biting off more than we can chew as a community. And it would just be nice for people to come from that place of empathy, love and compassion, and then enable other people to go, um, not enable, I think that's probably the wrong word, especially in talking about mental health, but um, encourage someone to go forth and get the right support for whatever it is that they're going through. Mm. I think that's, you know, a great thing because that happened to me very early on, as I said, people coming up to me after class. And of course, if it was something to do with the practice, no problem. But, you know, the other kind of emotional issues are very difficult to navigate. And all of a sudden you're, you know, left with this kind of sense of like mild responsibility as soon as you put your yoga <laughs> teaching hat on, which I always found, um, yeah, one of the hardest parts of knowing like where to advise people to, to seek more help. And, um, you know, in the current situation that's been sort of, um, yeah, going on, you've obviously had to completely re-navigate your entire business you've gone from teaching sort of physical classes into the world of online uh, yogi business like how's that transition been for you as one of the you know you're doing some amazing things and obviously you've kind of um, managed to swing through it like a kind of ape in the kind of corona jungle but how's it you know how's it actually come together for you obviously it must have been shaky and weird to begin with no yeah, no, absolutely. At the beginning, I remember getting coronavirus actually and being, you know, pretty much bed bound for uh, two and a half weeks. And I realized that I have huge workaholic issues. I mean, that that experience was so valuable for me in so many ways because the amount of FOMO I had for other people jumping online, doing Instagram classes and interviews and Zoom class, I was so frustrated that I couldn't be at the forefront of this, you know, movement happening. And I, I really came out of that. And I was like, I need to take a long, hard look in the mirror <laughs> because, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm, I really want to be as authentic as possible. And I do teach people that it's important to rest and, you know, have balance. And I didn't, I, I came out of coronavirus being like, wow, not good. Cell. Um, but what was so beautiful is actually way before any yoga teachers caught the whiff of Zoom classes, I had been approached by a company called Livekick, I mean, a month before coronavirus hit. And they were like, we want to bring you on board. You know, we take care of all the tech. You just have to show up and teach. And I was like, great, because I'm so busy. I don't have time to figure out tech. And this is a great, it's a, it's, it's, I can see the vision with this. This is cool. So we had everything set up. And as coronavirus hit I got sick and I couldn't teach the classes that live kick and I had set up so we canceled them all down and thankfully we had all the infrastructure ready to rock as soon as I got better and things absolutely blew up I mean my classes have consistently had around 100 120 sometimes 80 people at, at a low point per class um, which is a lot of people for a class and it, it was it really showed me so much. And also the other saving grace is that before coronavirus, me and a friend, we'd been making um, online programs. Mm -hmm. And so we just started selling our online courses and it absolutely sold so much. And I am so proud of that because I know that content is so valuable and can help so many people. So thankfully I had an online business um, set up and ready to rock. And so that enabled me to keep head above water. I'm sure. But that's like, what about the retreat stuff? Did you have to cancel loads of things? Oh, no. thanks for reminding me. It was awful. <laughs> God, I had to refund everybody. And that, that took a, a huge financial hit. So thank goodness I had this online stuff going. Mm. Thank goodness I had an online business in the <laughs> back. All those people that didn't have an online business already. Like, how do you, oh. that? that just must be the biggest. It's huge in the nuts you know well I was really impressed with the yoga community because the yoga teachers absolutely so resilient as oh my god they were like they I mean I used a third party to do everything for me paying them I mean extreme amounts of money to be my third party 
these yoga teachers, way more intelligent than I could ever dream to be, set up Zoom, set up booking links, organized their websites, you know, like sent out all the emails, collected all the money, refunded people if needed. Like, I was just like looking at all these people and like bowing to their absolute tech greatness. I mean, not only do they have to be incredible at showing up and teaching classes with energy, passion, enthusiasm, they've got to have all the back end sorted, all the admin sorted. And I just had so much respect for these people because I know what it takes to do what they've done. And they just did it. They just like, you, you just, they put them in the deep end and they swam. So, I mean, hats off to them. Yeah, it's a well. There is no other way these days than online, the online uh, world, which is amazing. I think you know it's just a beautiful way for us to be able to connect. Now you're not just teaching in London; you're teaching to people all over the world. You know, it's the same with my podcasting program. You know, I've been able to teach people in America. Mm. Not about eleven o'clock at twelve o'clock at night, but that's fine. You know, I'm (laughs) teaching right until the second my head hits the pillow, which is great. And you're amazing with what you're doing. So you're teaching loads of other people to do podcasts and how to actually be successful at it. Oh, oh man, Joe, I need nah. you in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully that will happen. But I, you know, it's been amazing to also like I was teaching those podcast courses at the co-working here, physically face to face, and showing people the equipment. You know, playing them bits of my, you know, my back catalogue of stuff, things that I've made, and really trying to explain like how to structure things and put them together, um, and then having to try and then re-navigate that and put it on into an online course on zoom you know well, it's the same problem everyone's been facing it's like ooh, this is quite different mm. but actually i felt like it it did you know move across quite well better than i expected um oh so impressed scary. it is quite scary <laughs> it's so scary this is the other thing that i was so impressed with the yoga teachers that i you know was following on instagram and watching what they were doing is I know mentally what it takes to show up in front of people and then deliver content at, at such a high level. And, you know, these, I was teaching one, two classes a week. They were teaching sometimes 10, 12 classes per week. And man, especially online, it takes so much more energy than in person. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I was really impressed. I was really impressed. I was like, geez, I mean, yeah, I was like resting on my laurels using this third party and here everyone else was absolutely smashing it. I like the fact that you, you know, you're obviously running this workshop, as you said, that you've been working your absolute arse off to get to this, um, to this workshop that you delivered at the weekend. But you said that you had, I saw in one of your Instagram posts, you said you had the nervous poos, which I just thought, <laughs> well, that you actually felt able to just tell your 78,000 followers, whatever it was, you had <laughs> nervous squits. So um, talk us through that. So this far down the line, <laughs> you are still getting to the point of nervousness where you've actually... Well, you're always pushing yourself, right? You're always pushing yourself to do something a little bit harder. So if you made me now teach a yoga class, there are fewer nervous poos than they were at the beginning of the journey. But um, (laughs) to do a three and a half hour workshop about anatomy where there's contradictory evidence and everyone has a lot of different opinions and you don't want to teach anyone anything that could be harmful, you know, it's a huge responsibility. And to deliver content that's engaging on anatomy for three and a half hours, that is hard. And I just poured... Whenever I do these workshops, I've done three very highly focused workshops this year. I just pour absolutely everything I've got into them. And I do become a little bit of like a golem sitting by my desk, stroking my computer, you know, and and the the big eyes that are bulging out of my head and the veins coming out of my neck. I mean, it's not a pretty sight, but I'm so, so proud of what I produce. So proud because A, I know how much effort it's taken to get to that point. I know that it resonates with people because the feedback I get is really good. And I know it helps people because I get messages from people saying, I had XYZ problem and thank you so much because finally now this and this and this is better and I can do XYZ again. And honestly, that's what I live for is these messages from people just saying that something I'm doing is making a difference. But I think a lot of people put like a workshop together or an idea or something, you know, even a podcast. And they're like, you know, I think you've been doing this for what, 10 years? And you're still 15, yeah. that far, that deep, that strong to get so nervous. Like, where do you think that that kind of nervous nervousness comes from? Is it like the being out of your comfort zone or is it the other? Yeah, definitely. It's, the, it's being out of your comfort zone because I remember going to other people's workshops and they didn't prepare. And I was so disappointed in them. I was like, I've just spent 40 pounds and three hours of my time 
and you didn't prepare like you can tell they didn't prepare they rock up i've been to other workshops of them maybe a year ago and it was a handstand workshop and i'm now in a backbend workshop same content the same mm. i was like sitting there like are you kidding me like you're doing the same content or they're making it all about them and how clever they are and they're standing there talking about all these big names and they're like oh look at this look at this and no one in the room knows what's going on they're just sitting there and I'm like, well, I don't want to be that person who's making everyone feel stupid because they don't know what an acetabulum is. You know, I, I, I'm dyslexic. I know how horrible it feels not to know something. And then you're like all nervous when someone puts you on the spot. I never want that vibe in my stuff. But I really want people to understand their bodies. So to get people to engage with, you know, quite technical information in a fun way, that's going to take a bit of preparation. You know, I'm not going to just turn up. Mm. well you know that's very obvious in the way that you talk about when you talk about anything anatomy related it's like your eyes go really big like Gollum you just know <laughs> crazy like, eyes bouncing off the walls and it's beautiful that's what you know it's got you 17,000 followers on Instagram you look so high when you're talking about your body it's like so exciting to watch you it's like oh my god this girl literally is the most passionate person in the world and you know that's important and it's just very very obvious by the level of uh prep that you do put in I think my boss always said my old editor in the newsroom was like be prepared or prepared to fail and I feel like you know I've never ever gone into a scenario unprepared you know if, it, if it's got as you say people paying good money to be on something you need to you need to know what you're talking about there's nothing worse than standing up there and feeling like uh, you know and you know what actually joe i have to be honest again i mean there were times when i potentially rested on my laurels but and just showed up unprepared and it's the worst feeling in the world when you're just waffling out of your butt oh i'd rather <laughs> i'll go for nervous poos before waffling any day of the week because you're just standing there and you're just like mmm, 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 and uh, ugh, you can tell you can you, you know I, I think i can read people fairly well and i'm looking at them and you can see this look in their eyes they're like she doesn't know what she's talking about <laughs> you know but they're trying to be polite and give me some attention you know because that's why they're there never again no uh -uh, not my jam why do you get so nervous then if you've already got your plan in place? Because I always used to have this argument with myself as a yoga teacher. Like I would have my playlist mapped out to the, the nth degree, but I would never know exactly what I was going to teach until I started teaching it. And a lot of people were like, you can't do that. You can't go to a class without a plan, without a sequence, without, you know, without what, a warm up. And obviously that was what Julie Martin was all about. And I went to her whole 500 hour teacher training and go, and I was like, right, I've got to do it like this and then I've got to go into the transition and then I've got to go into like round one, round two, round three, I've got to add on and then, I, you know, and that's what I went there to learn from her. But what I really understood was I was getting more nervous before a class when I had that whole structure and sequence to remember in my head and it was causing me to dry up and be like, I don't know. What's it depends on the person oh. though because I'm so dyslexic, right? So if I did a, a long complicated sequence on my right side, I, I won't remember that on the left. So I need to know what's going on in my body. And I remember my, the spine workshop that I've just been preparing for was lecture based. So I have to get all the slides ready. I have to get all the lecture ready, you know, like talking for three and a half hours about a body part. I mean, that's, that's a lot of preparation. But when it comes to classes, I still prepare my classes. I still know exactly what's going to happen. And what's interesting is for me as a person with my limitations in learning and remembering, it, it takes me actually out of my head worrying about what comes next and I'm so in the students bodies because I can watch them and see them and I can feel them in in much more heightened sensitivity than if I was like fuck what comes next you know oh my god I can't remember the other side like oh no that's happened to me I remember when I was just teaching at Tri yoga I just started it was my dream to teach there I got a slot class was packed I was nervous as hell and I was like whatever I'm just gonna go with the flow did this epic flow on the right side I mean epic we went on and on and on and then I was like huh I have absolutely no clue what I did no clue and I went to the guy and I was like child pose Charles Bose, everyone. And I went to the guy at the front. I was like, mate, what did we do? Can you remember? And he was like, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck. <laughs> like, it was so embarrassing. You did not. 
I, I actually it was the worst that. experience of my life. Literally, all I wanted was the earth to just swallow me up so I would disappear. But again, that taught me. And so I know so many people like you, Joe, they're like, I just can't prepare. If I do, if I prepare, it just, it's not as good. It's not as good. Fantastic. Go with the flow, prepare your playlist and then just turn up, you know? But if you're going to do a three hour lecture and you're turning up and I can tell you haven't prepared, mm, not good. Totally agree with you. Or even a two-hour workshop and people are just showing up. Come on, man. Put some effort. Have some pride. Like, I always view my yoga as like my art form. So when I show up, I want it to be like the most beautiful little piece of art that I've spent time creating. Like, here you go. Have my art. You know, and people, I don't know, they're just kind of like lackadaisical about it. And I'm like, I've just given my time and money. I want it, I want it to be like epic experience for people, you know? No, for sure. And I, you know. I completely agree. You can totally tell when someone is going to be able to pull it off with absolutely zero preparation. You know, they've got, I mean, what I know now about myself and the reason why I'm so confident is because I have probably four or five sequences that I always, you know, elaborate. So you are prepared. Build from. Well, so you are prepared. I am now. The other thing about people who say they don't prepare is they always teach the same thing. Yes. Yes, that's, that's, that's also true. But you know, I have five starting positions. I have five like floor flows, five standing sequence. You know, then they're my kind of five go tos. And whenever I dry up, well, I never dry up because so I'm like, well, that comes after that. And that, you know, I had to spend. I remember one season in India. I said, okay, everything else goes off the table, and I'm actually going to work on those five sequences. So I have my. So you are prepared, monkey. You well, aren't showing up unprepared. You see, this is the thing about people who say they show up unprepared. They're always either doing the same sequence or they have something they've been doing for years and years and years and years. But I think, see, I always used to give myself a hard time about that. But then I realized that the people I teach in Ibiza are either people on a retreat or they're people who are only here for a week and they haven't been to my No, I think it's, but it's good. It's good what you're doing. But I don't think you shouldn't right. do it. Because, yeah, because, because these people have never, it's not that they're coming to me for like the next five years. 100%. But that's a different story, isn't it? And I don't think I could be the kind of teacher that you are where I have the same clients you know, week after week after week after week. And you've got to deliver different stuff. I know. But, but listen, that's not, that's not the conversation. I think what you're doing is fantastic and you shouldn't change. But what I'm saying is you are prepared. And this, there's, it's almost like for some yoga teachers, they're like, no, you should never show up prepared because then you're not in the students. For me, it's the opposite. Like, I'm so worried about what comes next. I don't look at people. Mm. I'm just like freaking out. But then they're like, oh, I just feel the room. And I'm like, you do the same sequence every single week, mate. You do warrior one, warrior two, reverse warrior. Like clockwork, every single class. That is just a classic, isn't it? Reverse. Oh, it kills into me. Into Konasana and into that warrior flow. Oh, come on, give me something else, please. You know, that was a classic for me. For at least the first two years, that went. flow. Oh, yeah, like I totally did that. Like I hold my hand up. Did. I was, I was nervous. I was so nervous, and I went in unprepared. This is the point. This is the turning point when I said, "Okay, I'm going to drop another three and a half rand on getting more prepared and having a bigger toolbox to dig into." Because I don't want to be that teacher anymore. Even though no one ever said a word in my head, it wasn't good enough. And then, you know, when you hit that point of like, okay this is not good enough. I need to change. I need to develop. I need to be proud of my class. I don't want to walk out the class going crazy. Same old crap. It's piece of art. Yeah, it is my piece of art. And now I have, you know, my bespoke playlist, which people always talk about. You know, I always want to mix my music journalism with my sequencing. And for me, that's what Joga Beats was. Even though I absolutely despise that name now. It makes me feel like a... Really? Because <laughs> I always think it's so clever. Whenever I see Joga Beats, I'm like, ah, oh, so clever. Oh, you're so lovely. But no, seriously, I think you should be proud of it. And I mean, I don't know, um, I, I hear you though, because now when I spent all this money on this branding, like, you know, the, the like paint splash, and then I was like, there's a lot of pink, hey? I don't know if I like this. <laughs> and I'm like, now I'm like really regretful that I spent all this money on this branding, but I'm like, oh, I'm so deep into it now. I can't go back. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. And, you know, I kept thinking, well, I need to change it now. I need no, to. No, don't worry now. about it. People Maybe don't care. Up the Reset Rebel, and that's it. Keep the podcast, you know. Obviously, my podcasting thing as well, Reset Rebel Productions. It was like maybe I need to rebrand, but I couldn't quite get away from it because everyone calls me or have called me for the last ten years, Joga. I don't even get called by you know Joe by the majority of my friends. I have been Joga for a really long time. 
and I loved it, but now I'm not, you know, not, not so keen. But. I think you should be proud. I think it's really smart. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I think you should it's be very pleasure. proud of yourself for like your unbelievable depth of knowledge and the next workshop you're doing. Um, I'm, I'm in, I'm all in. I couldn't make this weekend's amazing spinal um, golem creation, but um, I'd like to see you <laughs> bug-eyed and uh, stroking your laptop. So the next time you get into that mood, please <laughs> call on Zoom. I want to witness this and take a few screenshots. <laughs> it ain't pretty. It ain't pretty. Yeah, I should, I should actually, and I should post that up to be, you know, sharing the full picture of what really goes on. But I think <sighs> it's important to be as I said, you know, willing to go that deep and work that hard for something that you're going to share because you don't want to be made a fool of. Essentially, we're all, you know, wanting people to value what we've just charged them 40, 50 quid for. Absolutely. And, you know, ever, if ever there was a time to place more value on these things that, you know, people are spending their, their hard-earned money that's even more hard to come by in this yeah, yeah. phase of life. You want, you want, you know, you want balloons. You want stars. And oh, stars. I want it all. Yeah. And maybe because I grew up with not a lot of money and also the start of my career was terribly strug like a lot of struggle. I value every pound people give me so much. I'm like, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your money because, and I want to give you uh, like 10 times the amount of value that what you've paid for because I know how hard it is to earn money, how many sacrifices have to be made. And I know how precious time is. And so, what yeah, for me, did you make, I'm intrigued. I love to ask this question though, like before we finish, like what, you know, how much hardship and how, what's the worst jobs that you've done or the biggest sacrifices hmm. you get where you are now doing this job that you absolutely love. So the, I mean, when I was like really young, like 15, 16, I do like little waitressing jobs in South Africa. But when I moved to London, my first job was working in McDonald's. And I worked in the drive-through and I would often do seven days a week, 12 hour days, uh, to the point of tears, just absolutely miserable living in this dark country that was always cold. Why did I leave the beach? You know, and um, yeah, it forces a lot of growth. It forces a lot of growth in that time. Um, I sold advertising space in a newspaper. I worked for £12,000 a year, which is about 800. I know for people listening to this in very, um, you know, countries where the economy is very, very... Um, challenging it might sound like a lot of money earning 800 pounds a month but let me tell you in london that doesn't go very far when your rent is 500 pounds a month mm -hmm. and so and food is <laughs> ridiculously expensive I, so i don't know how i did it but i'm so grateful for all those struggles i'm so grateful it was hard start I'm so grateful that I worked in McDonald's in the beginning and I got fat eating all the free food. <laughs> I love it. I just think, yes. <laughs> oh man, I loved it all. <laughs> yeah, the milkshakes was great. I just think it was so good to go through all those experiences, all the good, all the bad. I wouldn't change it for anything. Um, yeah, it, it, was, it was all right. It, it, it gave me a whole new level of appreciation for where I am now, which I wouldn't have if I hadn't had gone through that. Mm. I mean, but we, you weren't doing this when we met in London. Like we were sort of, I was like 21, 22 with Sean, who was a really good friend yeah. of mine. That's how we met. And you know, living I don't even remember what I was doing then. I think I was, I can't remember what I was doing when I met you. I was like seven, wasn't I like 18? You were, you're younger than me. So you are 37 next birthday, I think. I looked yes. At your Facebook thing earlier, just <laughs> December, I do believe. And you're yeah, <laughs> like five years younger than me. So you would have been maybe, yeah, 18, 19 when I met you yeah. in London. Which is yeah. So I was probably making a transition from working the handsome 800 pounder job um, uh, in the gym to selling advertising space. Um, so, and then, oh man, yeah, so basically someone spotted in me that I've got this personality and they were like, you should come work at my newspaper, you can sell advertising space, you'd be amazing. I was there for six months and I sold nothing. <laughs> nothing. And of course I got fired and I walked out of there in floods of tears. I mean, I was absolutely distraught. Um, but yeah, we, we pick ourselves up and we carry on and I'm so glad that I didn't end up doing well at that job because I'd probably still be in sales, you know, because if you're good at something, you tend to just stick to it. Totally. 
but obviously your love of like movement, capoeira, I remember you doing some sort of form of martial arts, climbing. Every time I see, you know, the pictures over the years of like watching you from afar on Facebook, you know, seeing all the things that you're passionate about, the dance, like, you know, you've got an incredible repertoire of movement practices that you've kind of like developed over the years. It's just, you know, when you got into yoga, I think that's kind of what inspired me actually. I was just getting into it at that phase. And I remember ringing you up saying, where did you do your teacher training? Like, you know, give me oh. some tips. There's so many places to go. I remember, I've forgotten about that conversation actually until we started talking about it, but that was, you know, well, that was uh, a good, almost 10 years ago now. Wow, amazing, Joe. Well, it's, a, it's just wonderful watching all the things you've done. Really cool. Well, likewise, and um, really appreciate your spending a bit of time today and coming onto the Reset Rebel and telling us all about your um, journey. I love that word. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Joe, and thank you to all of your listeners. I appreciate you guys. So, yeah. Where can we find you if um, anyone wants to connect? Um, so my name is uh, Celeste, but I've got no E on the end. My poor mum, she doesn't get silent vowels. Um, but in some ways it's positive because now it's easy to Google me, just Celeste with no E on the end. And if you put Celeste Yoga into into Google, I'll pop up some somewhere. Amazing. Well, thank you so, so much. And um, yeah, enjoy watching the kitties out the window. And we'll, uh... Oh, yeah, they're cute. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Take care, my beautiful. It's gorgeous. Bye. Bye. Reset Rebel It's the Reset Rebel It's the Reset Rebel It's the Reset Rebel